hope can be a passive thing where you sit by and you say, oh, I, I just hope things get better for, you know, so-and-so. Or hope can be an active verb. And that means I want things to get better for so-and-so. I want things to get better for me. These two things are hand in hand. What is it that I can do to, to help? What is it that I can do to make sure that this world is, is more fair and just? I'm Bianca Schultz from the Children's Book Review, and this is the Growing Readers Podcast. In this episode, I talk with Gail Foreman, an award-winning author and journalist whose articles have appeared in numerous publications, including Seventeen, Cosmopolitan, and Elle in the U.S. Gail Foreman's novel, If I Stay, was released as a blockbuster movie starring Chloe Grace Moretz in 2014. Her most recent YA novel is We Are Inevitable. Gail lives in Brooklyn, New York with her family. Today, we're going to talk about her debut middle grade novel, Frankie and Bug. Before we get started, here's the synopsis. In the debut middle grade novel from number one New York Times bestselling author Gail Foreman comes a poignant and powerful coming of age story that follows a young girl and her new friend as they learn about family, friendship, allyship, and finding your way in a complicated world. It's the summer of 1987 and all 10 year old Bug wants to do is go to the beach with her older brother and hang out with the locals on the boardwalk. But Danny wants to be with his own friends, and Bug's mom is too busy. So Bug is stuck with their neighbor, Philip's nephew, Frankie. Bug's not too excited about hanging out with a kid she's never met. But they soon find some common ground. And as the summer unfolds, they find themselves learning some important lessons about each other and the world. Like what it means to be your true self, and how to be a good ally for others. That family can be the people you're related to, but also the people you choose to have around you. And that even though life isn't always fair, we can all do our part to make it more just. Gail Foreman, wow. Thank you so much for sharing your time with me and the the Growing Readers podcast listeners. I am beyond excited to talk to you about Frankie and Bug, especially because everybody knows you from your YA, your young adult books, but Frankie and Bug is really special because it's your first middle grade novel. Well, thank you for having me, Bianca. I'm really excited to be here. I feel like Frankie and Bug, it's such a fun book at the heart of it, but also at the heart, there's so much going on and so much to take away that is so important for young readers and adults too. You know, I just, I took away that everybody has their own story and it's so important to practice compassion because you just don't know what a person is going through. And I also took away that the importance of learning to communicate with friends, not making assumptions and we may stumble and make mistakes along the way and we have to apologize. But most importantly, I think Frankie and Bug 
fosters that idea of and discussion of allyship. Do you agree? I'm so glad about everything you just said, because number one, like, I do think this is a book full of humor. I laughed so much writing it. It's such a vivid world. And it also grapples some really intense issues. And I think that humor shouldn't be excluded from that because that's kind of how life is, right? And then I absolutely agree that this is a book about allyship. And I'm so glad that you really focused about how Frankie and Bug they, they, they're not perfect at it. They're not perfect at being good friends to each other, at being good allies to each other. But what they are is they are undefensive about the process and willing to be sort of graceful and generous with the other person and forgiving as well and of themselves so that when they kind of goof up and make an assumption about somebody or insult somebody, you know, they might go to their corners and get upset and grumble about it, but eventually they kind of come back together and they talk about it and they ask questions that I think maybe are sometimes awkward to ask, but I think you, that's how we kind of get over assuming everybody is like us is just taking a moment to be like, okay, you're different. I don't even know how to sort of ask about certain things. How should I ask about certain things? And they, they do that very I think sweetly and failingly and charmingly and lovingly. Yeah. And I also think that this book really helps kind of fill in the gaps to our own blind spots. So there's a lot of gender identity in as part of Frankie and Bug. I'm a cisgender white woman, just, just as you are. And I feel like Frankie and Bug just, it was such a beautiful and easy way for me to read about gender and to share that with my own children. And I just, I I can't wait for so many families to be able to just have such a friendly, hopeful, open book that it's not even just about gender. And Bog herself is a biracial kid as, as is her brother. And I just, I really do feel like I, I think it'll take the blinders off and open up discussion for particularly cisgender readers. So thank you for writing it. I think it is really important. And I do think that I want to give a moment to really sort of pay a debt of gratitude to some of the people who helped me with this, because I am, as you mentioned, a, a white cis woman. And I, w- I don't think I would write a book from Frankie's point of view, because he's a trans kid. Um, but I had a lot of help in making sure that having him as a character, I was not reverting to sort of stereotypes or generalities because that's sort of what happens when you are not, you know, you don't have that very specific experience. But I really do think that it is Bug who handles or, you know, greets Frankie's gender identity with a certain almost shrug of her shoulder. And I don't mean to say that it's not important because it is important to her. It is who Frankie is, but it is not important to her friendship with him, except in as much as like, she needs to learn how she needs to support him. And he needs to learn how to support her because she's got a complicated relationship, particularly with her mother's sister who comes to visit. And Bug is starting to understand, you know, what 
it means to be biracial. She and her brother, Danny, or their father who dies before Bug is born was Salvadoran and Bug really passes as white and her brother does not. And she has a lot of complicated emotions around that. A book takes place in 1987 before I think there was a lot of talk about white supremacy, but Bug sort of feels both the sadness and shame that she doesn't have this more obvious visual connection to her father, but also the relief that, you know, some of the, um, some of the harassment and worse that, that her brother Danny faces, she might be exempt from. And I think that's, it's kind of hard to talk about that, the sort of the privilege that she has of being able to pass what she doesn't necessarily want, but is thrust upon her. I think this is why I just, I'm so grateful that you wrote this book because you have written about these complex topics that a lot of people don't know, maybe they want to talk about, but they don't know actually how to start the conversation. And yet somehow you've like made a fun story, but it's like, it's packed with all of these really important topics. So I would love to just know a little bit more about your background and and for you to share that with our listeners on, you know, what drives you and guides you in creating books for kids? Because I do think that you have a lot of experience writing for for teens and and for young people. And so how how do you do this? Because you're so good at it. Well, thank you. That is such a lovely thing to say. You know, I think that what happens when I write a book is that the characters become so kind of deeply embedded in me and and I get to know them so deeply that I I think that from what I'm told, when readers read the books, they really experience the experience of the characters. And and that's because I do too. And so in terms of like Frankie and Bug, because this is my first middle grade, this is a book that I started in 2013. and, And I was on a long flight and I was thinking about sort of certain ways in which the world changed. And I was thinking about my own teenagehood in in 1980s in in Los Angeles, where the book is set, and particularly what the world looked like for gay men then. And I, you know, because when I was growing up, if you were gay, you had a secret. It was in the early 80s in particular, it was, there were subcultures in which you could exist safely, but it was not like it is now where, you know, marriage equality and, and there are queer families. And so in some regards, like the swiftness with which that had changed took my breath away. And at the same token, at the same time, there were other issues. And I was thinking initially, particularly about sort of immigration crisis and how we have continued to scapegoat immigrants throughout our history. And and there was a, a sort of a flood of immigrants coming in in the 1980s because of the wars being fought in Central America during the Cold War. And that had led to a domino effect where a lot of those countries were sort of suffering real, real poverty and, and sort of corruption in governments. And again, we were seeing that. But I, when I started this book in 2013, I immediately knew it was middle grade. And I immediately knew that Frankie was a trans kid, although in 1987 in Ohio, where he grew up, like lacked the vocabulary to even talk about that. And in the space of sort of writing the draft of the book, the world really started to change again with sort of trans issues and trans voices really coming to the fore. And I decided to put the book aside because it just did not seem like a time to be involved in this conversation. But then I saw things getting sort of worse in terms of treatment of of migrant families. And I also saw for all of the gains that 
you know, trans rights were, were, were making, we were seeing the same kind of scapegoating language that I had seen back in the 80s, particularly during the AIDS crisis. And so the book just became newly important again. And so it became something I wanted to write about, but really it started with these two kids. It always was Frankie and Bug. I'm glad that it, you know, that remained the title because I just had this vision of these two kids and they're trying to catch a serial killer, which, you know, as a 10 and 11 year old to me is really an example of like how little agency over their own lives kids really feel like they have. And back then they had more than they do now because kids were allowed a lot more freedom in the eighties, but like that they wanted to do this big thing, which, you know, any adult or even other kid would look at, like, you have no chance of catching the Midnight Marauder, but they, they think they can, and it gives them a sort of sense of purpose. And what happens when, when sort of violence goes from being something that is happening on the news and is a little removed to within your own community and sort of how do you grapple with that? And one of the things I love about writing for young people, and this goes back to before I was a novelist, I was a journalist at Seventeen Magazine, is they are constantly, I'm not going to say surprising me, but I am, I am constantly impressed by how able they are to engage with topics that adults think that they're not and how able they are to kind of have honest, frank conversations and how some of the times when we just listen to them, they're so much more ahead than where the adults are because they are just kind of going with a, a gut instinct of what it means to be a friend and what it means to be an ally. And I don't want to say that children are perfect and they automatically understand everything, but that a lot of the sort of the other otherizing of other people, I think, is a reaction to being hurt or being scared. I think there's a, a line in the book where Bug's mom, you know, talking about some some skinhead bullies in the neighborhood, how she feels sorry for them because scared people scare people. And I, I still think that's true. Yeah, absolutely. I um I can't remember the exact line that you wrote, but I loved when Bug Bug said something along the lines of when mama meets someone not weird, that's when she'll run for the hills. Yes. Her, her, yeah, her mom embraces everybody's intricacies and quirkiness. And, and I loved I loved that. And I loved that she saw that in her mom. And what a great role model. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, mama says, and I believe this too, that like everybody is weird in some way or another. Everybody deep down thinks that there's a part of them, whether it's their gender identity or their their sort of their heritage or or just something else in their personality. There's a, a side of us that we think like makes us weird and different, which is true and redefine weird as something wonderful. It makes us individual, but it's the shame around it and what people do and the shame and feeling like they need to hide this. So I, I dedicated the book to my friend Isabel and her grandmother who inspired so much of Bug's father's story, but also to everybody who wants to find a place in the world for themselves. Because yeah, mama does say that everybody's weird in their own way, except, you know, the people who everybody always says is normal serial killers, which is true. Whenever there's like, at least when I was yes. growing up, there was a serial killer. The neighbors were like, we had no idea that he had 20 bodies buried in the basement. He seemed so nice and normal. <laughs> totally. I, when I read that, I think I laughed out loud. <laughs> I was like, that is so true. Can you share a highlight from the book that felt really specifically meaningful when you wrote it? Yes, there are. There is a scene that came in late, and this was partially due to something that one of my sensitivity readers said. And it was also, you know, my my editor, Kristen. So, so between the two of them, there's a scene where 
Frankie and Bug are investigating. Frankie's upstairs neighbor gets hurt. Uh, I mean, Bug's upstairs neighbor, who's Frankie's uncle, who he's come to stay with for the summer, gets hurt. And they begin to suspect that the story that Philip is telling them is not true. So they have started investigating and they have started asking around and it leads them to this very Venice Beach character named Flo. And it's a moment where Frankie discovers that he is not alone, that there is a name for what he is. And that, you know, he asked Flo, you know, are, are there more people out there like me? And, and Flo says more than you could ever know. And it's such a small, powerful moment. And I think it's so important for, for kids of kind of any gender identity, but really of any, any identity to understand that you may feel like you're alone. You may feel like you are so singular with this thing that you can't tell anybody about yourself. And I, I can guarantee you that there are others in your tribe out there and that there's others outside your tribe who will welcome you. Yeah. That was a beautiful moment. And that 100% comes across. I think something too, that's really great is while it's a historical fiction in the sense that it's set in the 80s, but we all know that, uh, as you said earlier, all of these issues, they're, they're, still, they're still happening. And, you know, we're, you know, 40 years on almost from, from the time that your story is set and we're still struggling with these same issues. And it's, it's heartbreaking that there hasn't, there has been progress, but there hasn't been enough. And so mama has a saying that she says to bug life isn't fair. The most you can hope for is that it's just. And so Bug doesn't really understand this saying at the beginning, but it starts to make more sense towards the end. And I feel like that to me, that sentence, life isn't fair. The most you can hope for is that it's just. It really helped me know that I hope that some readers will take away from this that they they can start to stand up for their friends more. Anyway, you can speak more to that on that sentence more ele- eloquently than I can right now. I think. Actually, I can't, Bianca. You are <laughs> you are you are hitting all of the points here because I would say you know if I have to sum up in a nutshell what the book is about, it's about these sort of two kids who over the course of this very life changing summer begin to understand what Mama means when she says that life isn't fair and the most you can hope for is that it's just and also what hope really means because hope can be a passive thing where you sit by and you say oh i i just hope things get better for you know so and so or hope can be an active verb and that means i want things to get better for so and so i want things to get better for me these two things are hand in hand what is it that i can do to to help what is it that i can do to make sure that this world is is more fair and just for everybody and to understand that it's it's not a zero sum game that that whatever advances sort of bug makes frankie benefits from and vice versa so i really do think you know at the very end bug gets frustrated with mama because things did not sort of wrap up neatly and perfectly and nobody sort of guaranteed uh, a quick happily ever after and bug has really come face to face with what the world looks like and you know, she she asked Mama, like, how is this fair or just? And, you know, Mama says, you know, you're right. It's, it's up to us to hurry toward justice. And I think that hopefully Frankie and Bug and the readers of this book and their parents will understand that we all we all have a place in, in, in that process. 
Absolutely. I really want to just push this, that it is such a fun, fun, fun story to me. And, and like you said, the idea of these two kids in believing that they could catch a, a serial killer is, I, I think because the heart of the story is fun, but we're covering topics that you and I both know and, and our listeners know we need to talk about, but we do know that there's people out there that don't want to talk about about these topics. So what would you say to someone who thinks kids are too young or the middle grade reader is too young for this content? I think that kids read books at the level that they are able to read books. So they are very good at self-censoring and putting down a book that is not right for them and that they read on very different levels. And so the way a 10-year-old is going to read Harry Potter, for instance, is going to be quite different than a 17-year-old. And I will say, I, you know, I write books that I want people to zoom through. I am a very picky reader and I want to be immersed. And particularly now when there are so many things competing for my attention, I need a book that's going to grab me by the throat and not let go. And Frankie and Bug is like a fun and antic story about these two kids. It's a summertime story. So it really feels like summer. Anybody who's lamenting the beginning of fall can get their dose of summer with this. And I think kids will read it on that level and maybe just looking back at the ye old 1980s, be sort of shocked at how much more sort of freedom kids back then had. And I think that a lot of kids are not going to sort of see this as such a big issue book as maybe the adults do, because in so many ways, they're they are already so well-versed in this and they're so sophisticated. So while I was, of course, sort of thinking about the message that kids were going to get and the behavior they would see modeled in, in Frankie and Bug and all the adults around them, I also want to validate what these kids already know. I want to sort of let them know that like in many ways, when it comes to things like this, I see my, my kids, my two daughters really leading us. And so I, I will never tell a parent what they should let their child read. But I just know that this is a fun antic book and that um, I think that kids are already exposed to so much of this. And any book that really just shows very complicated adults, you know, there, there's people here like Aunt Harry, who is in some ways does some pretty awful things and yet in, in some ways really steps up for people. And I think it's important for all of us to be able to recognize that we are complicated people and that we need to be able to hold conflicting ideas of how people are in our hands at the same time. Um, because I think that really does create sort of rivers of compassion and empathy so we can sort of better understand each other in a time where it feels like we're, you know, shouting at each other. And I don't want this generation of kids to grow up doing that. How, how long did it take you to write this book? Did it feel hard at times to write it, to get it just right? And I know you spoke about having a sensitivity check and because you did succeed in making it just a fun, 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 fun story. How much work goes into to making it so it is such an easy page turner? Well, thank you for that. It's a nice thing to say. I mean, I started this book in 2013. I finished it in 2020. So seven years, it's the longest project I've worked on. And part of that was, it was really hard for me to get the middle grade voice initially. I, I think it's the early drafts were just like so ponderous and, you know, very much a thing that frustrates me when I read, read this in children's book where it's like an adult trying to write as a kid. And so part of that was just nailing Bug's voice. And at a certain point, I think all those years I spent as a kid reading the Beverly Cleary Ramona books and then rereading them as a parent to my kids. And like the Ramona of it all, this incredibly funny, flawed, 
kid who's just trying to figure out what everybody means when they keep telling her to grow up. I think it just clicked. And then I tapped into Bug. So once I tapped into Bug, she's such a source of humor. And Frankie in his stoic way was always a source of humor. So once I tapped into that, the kind of fun part of it really kind of came into being. And then, yeah, I I had sensitivity readers, um, but I think I had an early one who was a teacher at um, a middle school in Brooklyn. And he really pointed out some of the ways that Bug really kept trying to help Frankie because she was basically centering her own needs. And this was a couple of years ago before I think we were talking about decentering quite as much as we were now. But that was the thing that really broke the book open for me was just seeing these kids learn how to show up for each other in a way that the other one needed and not what they thought the other one needed and the sort of fumbling in awkward ways that you ask that and you navigate that, but they do it in good faith and with open heart and and with reciprocal friendship. So it was that really kind of helped, but this was just, it was many, many drafts. And then it was also, you know, when you are dealing with sort of violence, whether it's a serial killer who you never really see or somebody close to you getting hurt, definitely being sensitive to how that was portrayed. And also it's, it's interesting because So much of wanting to write this book was both as an assurance that things could change, things could change quickly, but also a a reminder that other things require our muscle to, to sort of move the wheel forward. And that required, you know, that's the entire reason for writing this book set in 1987. So you can look back over your shoulder and you can see that. But it was also very mindful of balancing a sensibility and a sensitivity of a today's reader in that world because so much has changed. So it took it took a lot and it took help from a lot of different people and a lot of different sensitivity readers. My help, my good friend Isabel, who I mentioned, she's the one who really, it was her grandmother who had to leave El Salvador because of her work in the teachers union. And, um, you know, Isabel really kind of helped me with the Salvadoran aspects of it. And it, it was just, it all kind of came together. So the short answer is a lot of really satisfying work because when you love characters and I love not just Frankie and Bug, but they're part of this whole found family. So they live in this triplex building in Venice Beach, California, which is this haven for kind of eccentrics and weirdos. And upstairs is Uncle Philip, who is, you know, their, their neighbor and Bug's mama's best friend. And then downstairs is Hedvig, who is a Hungarian refugee who left after the Soviet invasion. And they just make this lovely, lovely found family. And it was so fun to spend time with these people. So that's always the thing that brings me back to a book when it's when it's really hard. And particularly these days, I just find myself drawn to worlds where I just want to kind of marinate in the world. And I hope readers will feel that way too. I mean, I think Los Angeles is a melting pot of diversity and the way you bought all of the different worlds together. Um, But I particularly loved Bugs World and that home that she lived in and their extended family that were really their friends, but were really their family. And I was wondering, I kind of get the sense from the ending that it's just a one-off book. But for me, I loved the characters so much. I was kind of hoping that maybe there would be a second book to to spend some more time with them. But I'm going to guess the answer is no on that. Am I right? 
I, you know, I'll never say never um, with this one. I, I, there would have to be a pretty compelling reason. You know, I almost sort of think that maybe I would return to them in a, in a young adult novel almost. I, I would kind of want to follow them through their lives or or because it's said in the past, you know, have a, a peek of them in another novel, but seeing, seeing them as adults. I think it's important. You know, hopefully I laid the groundwork that even though Frankie had some some challenges in front of him just because of who he is and, and where, you know, the time in which he lives, that there, he had a, a support of people who, who wanted to make this world a good place for him. And without trying to minimize the challenges for, you know, young, young trans kids today, let alone in the 80s, I really hope, you know, I, I think it's important to understand that, that Frankie is going to find his people and he already has and that he's, he's going to have the life that he wants for himself. So they say to be a writer that you need to be a reader first. Was there a pivotal moment in which you considered yourself a reader? Yes. And the Ramona books were probably part of it. They're some of the earliest books that I just remember reading and rereading. But I also should say that I remember when I started elementary school, like I, I you know, they, they used to track us for reading and they, they told my mom I was not a strong reader and I wouldn't be a strong writer because I didn't pattern well and all of that. And so reading kind of became this thing that I thought I was bad at. And so get over the stigma of that and realize that I loved books was, was so important. And so I think like those Ramona books were so important because I really, I saw myself in her and I, they were just such fun reading experiences. And then, you know, by the time I was like an early teen, I used to go every week to our local bookstore and my dad would buy me like a sweet dreams romance. And I, from then I just became addicted to reading. And I have to say like a lot of people, in like the last four or five years, just because of this, the chaotic nature of the world, I've read less, but during the pandemic, I started reading so much more. And, and now I'm back in that place where I always have an audiobook going and then a, a paper, a physical book. And it's just been so great to, to feel that call, you know, when, when you're just like, oh, now I have like an hour to myself. I'm going to go lay on the couch and read a book. Or now I have a long drive. I'm going to go, I'm going to listen to that book. So I have been a lifelong reader. And to me, reading is the same as writing is it's a form of escape. I get to escape as a writer into different worlds and I get to escape as a reader into different worlds. Do you have any particular writers now that are your favorite, whether it's adult or young reader writers? Well, one of my favorite writers is so great because she spans everything, but Jacqueline Woodson, I, you know, I mean, I know I'm just stating the obvious here, but everything that she touches, she, she does so wonderfully in her sense of craft and, and exposing me to, to worlds that I haven't seen in print before is just delightful. I, I love Erin and Trotta Kelly. I think her work is fantastic. Um, big fan of Adam Gidwitz. He's just such a gifted and wonderful storyteller. So, so those are some of the, the young readers in terms of like YA this year, Everything Sad is Untrue. The Daniel Nyeri book is just, it's everything I love about a book. It, plays with form. It's daring. The narrative is just so fantastic. But again, a book that has me Googling locations as I'm reading it, Firekeeper's Daughter was the same, where it's just like that world becomes so amazing to me. I, I want to be able to sort of see the real world version of it too. So I, I feel like it's been so incredible with, you know, I think the 
what's happened in children's literature and in adult literature in terms of making it sort of opening up to other voices. You know, sometimes I think we can get lost in just like the the politics of that. Like, yes, it's important. We must see different voices represented. And also at the same time, like just the reads that you get because you are seeing so many different worlds that previously just did not get get shared and published to me, it makes for just such an exhilarating reading experience. So I've just really loved seeing all the different kinds of, of worlds, um, both, you know, completely, whether we're talking about a fantasy world or just a different way of looking at the world. It's just been just such a boon to see what's happening in kids lit in particular. And I feel proud because I feel like children's literature really blazed the trail in this in terms of making clear that nobody benefits when when there's not more inclusion in terms of who's being who's being published and who's being represented in those books. 100% agree. So is there anything else you think that we should all know about Frankie and Bug, your experience writing it? It's so funny to write historical when you live through the history and I've I've written I wrote a, an audiobook that was completely historical and, and the book I'm working on now has a historical element and one of the things that I think I've come to understand and one of the reasons I was always scared to write historical is we have this idea that things that happened in the past are sort of encased in like marble or glass and that like nobody had conflicts back then or that like everything was fine back then or that people were a certain way back then that is so different from how people are now. And the interesting thing about writing historical that I live through is that it gives it gives lie to that idea, which is that people were grappling with and we as a society were grappling with the same things and our tendency to scapegoat and fearmonger was happening then just with different targets. So all of this and, and the way people felt like there's not a place for me in the world and then they find their place, that was happening then. And it makes me believe that it was also happening during eras that I was not a Lie for, and that this is just sort of the human condition. And the best we can do is just be so much more open and frank about all of this so that we can maybe make some progress and not just kind of keep doing the same dance over and over again. Yes. Oh, Gail, thank you so much for talking to us about Frankie and Bug. Uh, honestly, I laughed. I cried. I had tears in my eyes. I had goosebumps at time. Like it made me feel all the feels. And so I just, I'm so grateful that you wrote this book and I got the opportunity to read it and talk to you about it. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. It, growing up in Australia, did you have those those popsicles that we had, those red, right, red, white, and blue ones? Yeah, like the rock. It was like the rocket popsicle. It's what like did you call it? Was it because there was a big, we had a big to do about what these should be called because- do you- yeah. I, don't, I don't remember. I don't remember what it, what it was called, but I do remember that we had them and so, they melted, they melted really fast. Really fast. Hot. Yeah. Yeah. And so if there was like a favorite flavor that you liked and yours was the bottom, you had to get really creative about getting there quickly. There was a lot of controversy, I would say about what to call those because growing up, and I think this was a very regional thing. We called them bottle rockets. Uh, um, yeah. Bottle rockets, like the firecrackers, but 
nobody on the East Coast where I live now had any idea. So then there was like big debate over whether they were called bomb pops or rocket pops. And then it turned out there was actually like legal disputes between the two companies about what to call it. So I had to do a lot of like incredibly difficult research in the form of Twitter polls to figure out what to call it. And we <laughs> and we, we chose the bomb pop. I, I, lo- I love that you went with bomb pop. It totally worked for me. But, and now, now you have me, I'm going to have to go and Google this now because <laughs> I, I can't remember what we called it. I'm in this weird state now where I've officially lived in the US longer than I have lived in Australia, just over half half of my life spent now here. And so sometimes I'm like, wait, do I know that from here? Or do I know that from Australia? <laughs> it's like, I, I never thought that would happen, but everything's starting to blend now. <laughs> Well, you give me idea. I want to see like which different nationalities had this kind of popsicle and what they called it. Yeah. But there's some fun translations. Thank you so much for joining us on this quest for growing readers. To see which author or illustrated guests we have coming up and how you can ask them questions, keep a watch on our Facebook and Instagram pages. Our handle for both is The Children's Book Review. The Growing Readers Podcast is a production of The Children's Book Review. If you like this show, remember, you can hear it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Subscribe to the show to get new episodes as soon as they launch. If you're enjoying our book chats, please leave us a review. And while you're at it, tell a friend to come and have a listen. To discover more amazing books for kids, just like Gail Foreman's Frankie and Bug, I hope you'll visit us at thechildrensbookreview.com. <laughs>